0: A world of information, advice, and support available twenty four seven.
1: The best way to stay current with great ideas, love, and support.
2: Uplifting and reassuring.
1: A constant source of inspiration and positive
0: thinking, like a staff room eight cynics.
2: Gives you a sense of belonging.
0: An unlimited resource, a very supportive bunch of like-minded people.
1: The reason I'm where I am today. A source of mad sanity. And the crazy world of teaching.
3: Feel the love. You're listening to the MFL Twitterati Podcast, the podcast celebrating the voices of language teachers from around the world. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the MFL Twitterati Podcast, the
2: podcast aimed at language teachers wanting to find new ways of enhancing language learning with and without the use of technology. My name is Joe Dale and I'm joined as always by my co-host slash podcast buddy slash partner in crime, Noah Geisel. Hey Joe, great to be with you again. Great to be with you again and uh, what a week we've had. It's been absolutely fantastic, amazing response from the MFL Twitterati podcast. We've been inundated by lovely tweets and uh, encouragement from people who have obviously loved the first episode. In fact, I wanted to just uh, give a big shout out to the following who've sent us some audio recordings describing how they feel about the mfl twitterati podcast so first up we have senorita iglesias followed by vanessa planone then john wilson then fanula from ireland then Frederic, and then finally we have becky joy we're really really grateful to all your um, input on this thank you so much for sending in your feedback and we're absolutely delighted that you're enjoying the podcast
4: Hi, I'm Ushia and I teach languages in the southwest of England. I really enjoyed the first MFL Twitterati podcast because all of the speakers spoke passionately about language teaching and provided us with practical ideas as well as mentioning certain tools that I had never heard of. I now have a list of things that I would like to try my lessons where possible. I love the sense of community in MFL Twitterati and cannot wait for future podcasts. Thanks so much for this initiative and for sharing wonderful ideas.
5: Muchas gracias. Bonjour, my name is Vanessa Spallon. I teach French grades 6 through 12 in Florida, and I'm the World Language Department Chair at my school. I was about to cook dinner for my kids the other day when I read about the brand new MFL Twitterati podcast. No problem. I put my earbuds on and started dinner while listening to an international community of peers sharing innovative practices and their passion for what they do every day in the classroom. Learning how my British counterparts use Flipgrid was fun for me, and hearing Rachel Smith's professional teaching journey and creative use of iPads was inspiring. Not only did I get dinner on the table that night, but I also felt energized and excited to go back to my students and try out some of the great ideas that were shared in the podcast. Thank you, Joanne and Noah. I can't wait for the next one.
6: Hi guys, this is John Wilson here, Head of Modern Languages at Cheadle Hume School and Vice Chair of the Independent Schools
2: Modern Language Association. Just calling in to say congratulations on the first episode of the podcast. I think it's exactly what we as a community of modern language teachers need. I really liked it. My department really liked it. We're both really looking forward to future episodes. Keep up the good work, gents. That's um, at ML.
6: Take care, guys. Hello, my name is Finula, and I'm a French teacher in an Irish post-primary school. Firstly, I'd like to congratulate Noah and Joe and all the great MFL teaching team for a wonderful first podcast for the MFL Twitterati. It was great for me and my colleagues to listen to all the tips regarding European Languages Day. It has been very successful today, but it was really refreshing to pick up some new tips for next year and so early on, because as Jo remarked, it does take place relatively early in the first term. We normally like to plan towards the end of the last term, so we're ready for the 26th of September. So thanks, guys, for that. You know, in Ireland, the classroom is changing with the new junior cycle reform. We're changing from a teacher-led environment to a student-centered classroom. So we're all on the hunt for new 21st century teaching and learning strategies. So it was great to listen to all the teachers talking about their authentic experiences with their digital technologies in the classroom. So bring it on, guys. We're really looking forward to number two. Thanks a million. I just finished listening to episode one of the MFL Twitterati podcast. It was incredible. This podcast features voices from teachers around the world and highlights current trends in language teaching, including concrete ideas for how to thoughtfully and easily incorporate high and low tech strategies and apps to engage students and facilitate language production. There's information on grammar instruction, culture, teaching, pronunciation, and more. The MFL Twitterati podcast is wonderfully positive, inspiring, and uplifting. Give it a listen today. The first episode of the MFL Twitterati podcast was so exciting to listen to. I loved the amount of ideas that we shared, but I felt particularly inspired by Rachel Smith, who talked about her use of iPads in the classroom. It was lovely to hear how she uses technology, including specific apps to promote creativity, engagement, um, but also to kind of facilitate authentic communication. The MFL Twitterati podcast is definitely a leading initiative and I really can't wait to hear the second episode.
2: So thank you so much for all those lovely, amazing voices from the States, from Ireland from England. We had some uh, Belgian accent there. We had a French accent there. Just absolutely fantastic. Everybody loving the MFL Twitterati. And to me, that is quintessentially what the MFL Twitterati podcast is about. It's all about celebrating the voices of language teachers, the languages community. And it's just lovely to get that feedback because in lots of ways, it vindicates all the time and effort that myself and Noah have put in to making this possible. And so by hearing the fact that people are loving it, is incredibly invigorating. What do you think, Noah? What's your take?
3: I couldn't agree more, Joe Dale. I love the variety of accents. It's just such a lovely thing to hear in my ears. And I also love, you know, what well, you said, that this is not just about us, but about the voices of language teachers everywhere. And it's been really validating, not just to see the enthusiasm around the podcast, but also, for example, on Twitter, when we're seeing teachers who listen to the podcast and then are not reaching out to us, but they're reaching out to the other teachers whose voices are in the podcast saying, I loved when you did this, Rachel Smith. Right. And I just think that that is just so validating It's why we're doing this. And just thank you to everybody out there for engaging and for helping to celebrate languages and language teachers everywhere.
2: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And one of the points that Fanola made was the the idea of authentic voices. And I think, again, that's what the podcast is all about. It's about promoting authentic voices so that there's no commercial element to this podcast. It's all about finding out good practice, celebrating it, distributing it, sharing it, and then getting feedback. And what a uh, a wonderful thing that um, we've been given that opportunity to do, I think. And the fact that people are loving it is just, uh, well, it's it's made my week.
3: Same here. And I think what you just touched on is a great seg to my radar segment of the week. And that is Facebook groups. There's a Facebook group started by Katrin Usalan in the United States called Technology for Language Teaching and Learning. That is exactly what you were just talking about. It's a place for, without judgment, without anything commercial, teachers to go deeper and broader than just 140 characters at a time to ask questions, receive answers, share tips, strategies. Hey, everybody, check out this idea that I found or this new tool and uh, really engage through a community that I'm probably a bit of a slacker on professionally, and that, that's Facebook. And uh, we do have a bit of audio from Catherine talking about the Facebook group. So let's go ahead and roll that.
7: Hi, this is at Catherine ku 72 I'm a French teacher and technology coach in Washington State. And I would like to share a new Facebook group for all world language and modern language teachers who are looking for a thoughtful and meaningful way to integrate technology into their classes that support both the teachers and their learners. The group is called Technology for Language Teaching and Learning, and it's moderated by Florenzi Henshaw, who is the director of the Center for Language and Instruction Coordination the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. The group is open to all levels of technology users, from beginners to advanced, you can ask and answer questions, you can share suggestions, you can post student projects, and if you are a webinar or workshop provider, you can share your links and announcements. If you're a blogger, we'll help spread your work. It's open to everyone, and I really like the fast answers that members are sharing and the support they're giving. We've grown quite a bit in the past few weeks because we're such a friendly and supportive group. So we hope to see you there soon. Search for Technology, Language, Teaching, and Learning on Facebook. Merci beaucoup.
2: So thank you so much to Catherine for sharing that Facebook group. Obviously, for those people interested in languages and technology, it's a perfect place to meet and to share and to collaborate together. There are some other modern language um, Facebook groups which I would recommend as well. For example, there's the Secondary MFL Matters one, which I would highly recommend. There's the uh, Ismala one, which stands for Independent Schools Modern Languages Association. For those people who teach at primary level... The Languages and Primary Schools, or LIPS for short, is awesome. It's a very positive and creative environment. And of course, to finish off with, there's the GILT group, which stands for Global Innovative Language Teachers Group, which recently surpassed its 8,000th member. So all good stuff. Noah, what are some of your favorite Facebook groups for language teachers?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I'm also a big fan of the Tech for World Languages Facebook group. There's a Facebook group for teachers of Spanish heritage speakers. I also learned recently from my friend Tina Hartigan that the CI Liftoff Facebook group has over 6,000 members now. The IFLT NTPRS CI teaching group is another one that has a quite a few members and has been around going back all the way to 2014.
2: So next up, we have the MFL Twitter Twitterati takeaway section in our podcast, and this is the section whereby we talk about a tweet or something that we've we've come across which has particularly resonated with us on an emotional level or on a sort of a, on a wider level than just um, piquing our interest, as it were. And I know, uh, no, you wanted to talk a little bit about virtual reality and augmented reality, which we we touched upon in episode one with uh, Rachel Smith and her uh, three hundred and sixty uh, virtual ebook. But why did this particularly resonate with you, the next section of audio we're going to hear?
3: Absolutely. We're going to be hearing from friend and colleague, Nicole Naditz, who folks in the MFL community, if you don't know her, she was the national language teacher of the year a couple of years ago here in the States. And uh, a little bit of trivia, she's also an ice skater. But Nicole is just this amazing human being and and sharer of awesomeness for language teachers and technologists. And we're going to hear some audio from her describing ways that we can use virtual and augmented reality. And Joe, it might be just helpful to throw in a quick caveat for folks who are wondering, well, what exactly is this stuff we keep hearing about? And so one way to think about it is virtual reality is the opportunity to create entirely digital environment in which we can immerse ourselves and our students. Augmented reality is a way where we overlay our physical real reality that we see with our naked eyes with digital information that we see through our screens. So something that has been popularized in the last few years that might be an accessible example for teachers is something like Pokemon Go, where you hold up your iPad, your phone, your whatever connected device you're on, and it sees what you're seeing. But in addition to that, it has digital information that's been overweight. So without further delay, let's go ahead and hear from Nicole Naditz about how we can use virtual and augmented reality in a language teaching classroom.
8: Hi, you can find me on Twitter at at Nicole Naditz, and I'd like to tell you a couple of things I really like about virtual and augmented reality in the World Language Classroom. Three of my favorite tools right now are Google Expeditions, Google Tour Builder, and Figment. Google Expeditions basically gives teachers a database full of pre-done virtual tours that they can then lead with their students. And these tours include background information for the teacher, and the students can view them all on one screen at the front of the room, on their own handheld devices, which they can move up and down and all around in order to get the 360-degree view, or with virtual reality headsets for a more immersive experience. Google Tour Builder allows teachers and students to create place-based stories, combining Google Maps with 360-degree photos that are pinned to the maps, and then adding narration. If you audio record the stories when it's in presentation mode, you can get a multimedia experience for either listening comprehension or for student production and presentation. And Figment is actually augmented reality. So first you would get a 360 degree photo of somewhere or some object or place in the French speaking world or target language speaking world. And then you would load that into the Figment app. Then in your classroom, you turn on the app and it uses your phone's camera to see the classroom. But you can put a portal up in your room with that 360 degree photo behind it and literally walk through the portal with your phone And be in that other place and then you can move the camera or the phone up and down and all around and you or the students can talk about what you see, your observations or share whatever other knowledge you have.
2: So that was Nicole talking about Google Expeditions, Tour Builder and Figment and to me what's great about immersing yourself in this sort of virtual reality space is the fact that it can make you connect emotionally with your environment so no longer you're in a classroom you're uh, you put on a headset or you've got a device in front of you and you're imagining yourself in that space and to me that's one way of bringing language learning to life which is a little bit of a hack expression but i think that with virtual reality that is certainly one opportunity of giving language learning another dimension what do you think uh, noah
3: i totally agree with you joe dale i love the use of virtual and augmented reality i think that we're still in a space right now where it's really engaging to learners. We probably do get to a place, you know, down the road where too much of anything just becomes boring. And, you know, just like eight years ago, it was this really magical moment to roll out iPod touches. You know, today kids would be like, why should we get excited about iPod touches? But right now we are in a moment where I think taking a virtual field trip or, you know, in some way engage with language and culture through these virtual and augmented reality environments is still going to be really exciting I think that in addition to you know, the three tools that Nicole talked about, teachers are definitely wise to seek out other information. If you just you know go onto YouTube and type in virtual reality, and then whatever country or culture you are studying, you are bound to find content that someone has created. A lot of our textbook publishers are now creating content in the virtual reality space for language teaching. And I also, you know for folks who are really on the bleeding edge and want to try out really exciting stuff... You know, also think about how might we create opportunities where students are doing interpretive communication tests in virtual reality in order to unlock clues. And I know we are going to have a future episode about breakout rooms and escape room type uh, stuff, Joe. But I uh, just plant a seed there that we can embed, you know, language learning and kind of quest or task based uh, stuff inside of these environments.
2: Absolutely, and in fact, we've got another example of um, a virtual reality example from Misread Spanish who recently celebrated the Day of the Dead by uh, using her iPod Touches, her 30 iPod Touches, which the school was lucky enough to still have, along with Google Cardboard. And as a result of that, they did a lesson based on the cultural aspect around Day of the Dead. And we're going to hear some audio right now where Miss Reed Spanish is going to explain exactly how the lesson went.
4: Hi, I'm Emily, otherwise known as at misread Spanish on Twitter. just going to talk about how I've used VR headsets in the Spanish classroom to help my pupils gain more cultural appreciation, especially around Day of the Dead. I work at New Battle High School in Midlothian in Scotland, and we have been named a Digital Centre of Excellence, which means we have a lot of excellent technology. We have learning technologists who are there to assist us. One of the things that we're able to use is a set of 40 VR headsets. And that's something that I was able to use a few weeks ago with my S1 and S2 pupils around Day of the Dead. We did a lesson about Day of the Dead traditions, how things are celebrated. And then at the end of the lesson, the last 10 minutes, I was able to use the VR headsets with Google Expeditions to show my pupils a Day of the Dead scene. So we looked at the scene and I was able to direct pupils by holding down certain parts of the scene and ask them what this was, did they recognise it from our learning, and they were able to tell me, oh yes, that's a sugar skull, or there's an altar, those flowers are called marigolds, etc. So it was a really brilliant way to do a plenary, but without just talking about what we had learned, we were able to look at what we had learned and recognise all the things that had happened in the lesson. I would be happy to help anyone if anyone's interested in doing the same in their class, just contact me at, at misreadspanish.
2: So what a great piece of audio. And I actually got in touch with Miss Reed Spanish um, after she sent me that lovely piece of audio just to clarify a couple of things on how she's using her virtual headsets in the classroom. So she said the following. As the teacher, I'm able to use an iPad to guide the expedition so I can see the scene on the iPad screen and hold down on a particular part of the scene with my finger. This then creates arrows on the pupil screens and they're guided to look at what I'm directing them to. For example, we use it to revisit some Day of the Dead vocabulary, such as calavera, but also to discuss some cultural aspects. I showed them the flowers on the altar, for example, and they were able to tell me they were marigolds. So to me, no, that's an exactly what i'm saying it's it's bringing the cultural experience to life and it's really resonating with those students i'm sure that's an that's a lesson they won't forget quickly do you agree
3: absolutely we you know we are equipped today with this technology that allows us not just to show pictures on a page of the marigolds and say see kids isn't this exciting but to actually you know meaningfully and in a more engaging way take them there and immerse them in it and i think that as ms reed points out our students are going to be really hooked by this uh, way of presenting the information. Absolutely.
2: The MFL Twitterati podcast is brought to you by Linguascope. Linguascope.com is an award-winning language learning website trusted and used daily by thousands of schools worldwide. When your school subscribes to Linguascope, students get access to a wealth of interactive activities in a dozen different languages, with over 140 topics covered. The games can be played on interactive whiteboards, computers, or on tablets. There are free apps students can download on their own devices. All staff and students can log in both from school as well as from home, making it ideal for homework too. The website also contains a host of resources to make teachers' lives easier, from printable worksheets to customizable interactive games templates. If Linguascope is new to you, then you'll feel like all your Christmases have come at once. Teachers truly find Linguascope.com invaluable and you will soon notice the positive impact on your students' motivation and learning. But don't take our word for it, Visit Linguiscope.com and click on Learn More to find out what the website has to offer. We guarantee that you will fall in love with Linguiscope. And now it's come to the MFL Show and Tell section of our podcast. And as before, with the European Day of Languages special, we're going to have a theme for this particular episode. And this time it's on translation and different ways in which language teachers are using different types of activities in order to practice translation in the modern languages classroom. So one idea, for example, that's been talked about a lot recently on Twitter is the idea of untangled translation. This is where you get a text which includes the target language, be it um, Spanish, French, German, whatever, and English. So you have a mixture of different languages within the same text. And therefore the idea is for students to either translate the whole text into the target language or into English. And we've now got some lovely audio from Melissa, MFL cat and putti joueurs who are going to talk about their ways of interpreting the idea of an untangled translation. And here's Melissa first up.
9: Hi, uh, Melissa Bullock. One here, curriculum leader for languages at Pendlevale College in Nelson, Lancashire. I'd like to share with you an idea which I first came across at a keynote educational GCSE student conference for French. Something I have trialed and adapted that I call translation tangle. The idea is quite simple. I give the students sentences or short paragraphs, which are a jumble, a mixture of French and English and showing that the French words are in the correct place in the sentence. So, for example, on the topic of vacances ideales recently, one of the sentences I gave was, pour my holidays ideales, j'irai en Australia with mes amis. The first challenge for the students is to work out what the text is trying to say in English. It really focuses the students on what they might want to say before attempting to put it into French. Once they have the English, then they can have a go at writing the correct French, making sure they keep the words I have given them in the correct place. As an additional third challenge I have added, students can then adapt the phrase. So using the model from challenge two to make it their own to then use in their own original speaking or writing tasks. Voilà. Since translation is back on the agenda in the GCSE exams, I find this is a really way of translating for both reading and writing. But I don't just use it at GCSE. I use this from year seven onwards, and students really engage with it. So I hope that you'll have a go and hopefully find it useful. Thanks for listening.
10: Hi, I'm MFL Cat. Do you ask me to explain about what I call untangled translations? Um, something which I like can't claim credit for at all, but I found on the MFL Twitterati and I've been using a lot with my students this year. So the basic idea is to create a piece of text, which is a jumble between two languages with little chunks in target language, sometimes just a word or maybe like two or three together interspersed and mixed in with English. So it's all tangled up. And then the activity for the students is for them to complete a translation Maybe probably first in English and then afterwards of the whole thing in target language. The benefits of this is it makes the translation really accessible to the students. I think they're reassured by the presence of the English words in the text. And this also, I think, helps them get a handle on trickier texts of the, um, of the text via like little contextual clues. They're practicing at the same time translating into and out of the target language. And I think they really enjoy the code-cracking nature of it. They're very, very focused and sort of quiet when they're doing it. From a teaching perspective, for me, it's ideal for inserting tougher concepts, maybe like grammar ideas that might impact on word order or something that would be more words in one language than in another. So they have to think about, you know, not just a word-for-word translation. And really anything that's just expressed linguistically differently. I find that they really focus on these inconsistencies a lot better than if they were translating from one language into the other. I think probably because they're they're kind of flexibly holding both languages in mind at the the same time. Um, So, yeah, I'd just like to say thanks to whoever came up with the original idea. And if you you haven't had a try of it yet, it's worth a go.
1: Hi, my name is Petit Jouez and I'm a French teacher teaching in the northwest of England. Recently, I've been using what I like to call scramble or possibly unscramble translation. Take a paragraph of French text, type it up and then randomly select words to translate into English. So you end up with a text that is pretty much gobbledygook, half French, half English. It might go something like, j'habite in une big maison. You then give it to the pupils, and it becomes very much a differentiated activity. Weaker pupils can decide to translate the whole text into English. More able pupils might decide that they want the challenge of translating it all into French the very able, rapid pupils, they can then translate it into French and then translate it into English and then write their own version of the text. I've been using this quite a bit. I find that the pupil interest in it is very, very focused. It really makes them think about the meaning of individual words, prepares ideally for the new translation parts of the GCSE exam. And what you can do is then tailor it towards specific groups. So you could put specific word types into the opposite language. Um, so, for example, all of the adjectives maybe, which need adjective endings in French, you could put all of them into English. Initially, though, I tried it just with completely random words and the pupils really enjoy it. I hope you've enjoyed listening and I hope this is something that you feel maybe you can try in your classroom too. Merci
2: au revoir so as has been mentioned by a couple of the speakers there the GCSE so the exam that we do at the age of 16 in the UK recently introduced translation which obviously has been part of language teaching from the year dot but as part of exams disappeared for for many many years but it's now come back and i think lots of language teachers love translation because of the focus on language and again one of the great things about a community such as the MFL Twitter RT means you can hear about lots of different variations on how you can integrate translation into the classroom. So I'm sure that those people who have shared those ideas have been very grateful for the community and all the different ideas on uh, how you can integrate translation within language teaching. How, how prevalent is, is translation in the US in language teachers repertoire, would you say, Noah?
3: That's a great question. It's, you know, definitely varies by classroom to classroom, teacher to teacher. We do not have uh translation per se as part of uh, any kind of state or national exams, unless you're actually taking a translator's exam, which is uh, quite different. We really, in our national actful standards, look at interpretive communication, the ability to interpret information and make meaning of it. And, you know, for me, Joe, the biggest kind of Takeaway that that I get from that show and tell is the the student interest piece, right? When we're hearing our colleagues talk about how they're able to do these activities, they're not only preparing their students for these national exams in the u k, but that they're also hooking students and helping them fall in love with language so that they want to go on and take it the next year. They want to go on and study abroad. They want to go on and become bilingual and bicultural one day. and that, that to me is what gets really exciting. And something that I heard at a presentation specific to Google Translate a couple years ago with uh, Kevin Gogler, you can follow him on Twitter, at Gogler G-A-U-G-L-E-R, he um, had a slide where they talked about one of the big kind of foci for us as we do translation activities is to really think about the process and not the product. That's really where the powerful learning is happening here, is in the actual process of the task, not the product of it.
2: Yeah, I think that's absolutely fantastic. And I think um, on paper, translation sounds a bit dry, but in fact, there have been lots and lots of interesting ways of which The MFL Twitterati have shared ideas on how you can bring translation to life, similar to what you've just said. That's really great. In fact, we've got a couple of bits of audio from a couple of uh, language teachers from the UK who are sharing sort of fun activities around the idea of translation, whereby presumably the children are learning by stealth without actually realising that they're they're learning. So first up, we have Miss McInnes, who's going to be talking about creating paper chains to practice translation. We then have Mademoiselle Easeby, who's talking about creating a construction made out of straws to practice translation. And last but not least, we have Vale Languages, who's going to be talking about doing translation with speed racing for her primary languages pupils over in Wales.
11: Hello, I am at DHS and um, I'm going to talk about my translation race idea. I was inspired by a few different things I'd seen on Twitter where children would answer different questions and then receive something for doing that. So whether that be building a tower out of straws or things like that. So basically the group at the end of the lesson with the tallest tower, for example, would be the winner. I basically decided to do this with loops of paper that I had left over from photocopying. And basically for every question that they answered or thing that they translated, they would get a strip of paper, I would staple it, and they could keep on adding to that. And the group at the end with the longest paper chain would be the winners. The reason I started introducing this into my classroom is because I felt that it would increase engagement, which it did. The kids were a lot more switched on to the task that they were doing rather than if I just asked them to sit down in silence and translate it on their own. I found also that some of them sometimes need to run off a little bit extra energy. So if you give different roles to people, for example, a runner or a scribe or somebody to look in the dictionary, then that helps massively as well. I have done this idea as well with a beetle drive, so exact same task except they have to build a beetle. Also looking to do it with Lego, so basically whoever builds the biggest Lego tower is the winner, which is great because I just use the same question grid, I change the text, I usually just take a text from one of the textbooks that we've been doing, and I adapt it with some questions and basically give them a task to do it alongside that.
12: Hello everyone, bonjour. My name is Mademoiselle Isby, that's E-A-S-P-Y, and today I'm just going to be talking to you about a game that I did with one of my classes just last week in the French lesson that they had. So this was the straws game, and I actually got the idea from Senorita McCarthy, who was also on Twitter, so I check out her page as well. And as I said, I did this with my one of my Year 9 classes, and I did it on the theme of school subjects and daily routine as a kind of end-of-topic revision game for them. So it involves cutting strips of paper and physically stuffing them into straws, and I did this with two different coloured straws to get some differentiation in there, So my foundation ones were into English and then I did some higher ones into French. And you can make them as long or as short as you want, really. So you put those in the straws and what I had the students doing was to work in pairs and then they had to come up and get the straw and translate it as a team and then bring it back to me for checking. And if they got it right, they were awarded another straw to take back. And if not, I just highlighted where they went wrong, give them some pointers and they had to do it again and the idea or the point of the game at the end of the lesson was whoever had the tallest freestanding structure made out of these straws would win the prize so the quicker you translate the more translations you do the more straws you get to build these constructions and well they really loved it they were well they were intrigued from the start ever since since I said um, you don't need your books today uh, but it's a really good cross-curricular activity and it brings out their competitive side and it really gets them engaged with the language so yeah I would highly recommend that.
0: Hi my twitter handle is at Vale languages I heard about the running dictation idea from at freaky button who was presenting at the association for language learning show and tell meeting that we had in Bristol last week So I used it with my after-school club for years three and four. Um, My plan was to give my pupils a chance to see how much they already knew by piecing together a song they'd already heard and seen. So we'd worked on relevant vocab this term. So first they had two verses of the song. Then I showed them the text and then we read it. Many were really surprised at the written French, but they were able to understand and associate their knowledge of the word with the pronunciation. So then we listened to verse three, but this time, rather than show the text, we set up the dictation. In twos, it was a race to take turns to dictate one line to your partner and then swap. So it was really fun. They absolutely loved it. And I definitely do it again. I thought it was a perfect chance to um, practice reading and writing in French, recognizing repetition, looking for cognates. They really enjoyed the competitive element. So I just went around checking spelling over their shoulders, underlining a word if it was incorrect, and then they had to run back and forth to check it. It was really fast-paced, really exciting. I think a possible variation for more advanced pupils would be possibly to ask them to do all the spelling as well in the French alphabet. So anyway, this week I followed it up by getting them to listen to the song again and note in French on their whiteboards any words they recognize. And I think they surprised themselves with their knowledge now of spelling. And then we did a, a small gap fill. And again, I noticed there that listening was hugely improved. They were really tuned in and engaged. So next week, the plan is to personalise the text and then they're going to perform it as a rap. So did you like the dictation game last week?
12: Yeah, it was, it
0: was really big big fun. fun. And what did you like about it? I
13: liked about it was everyone getting confused. It was fun and you had to have a lot of speed and you had to know the correct spelling, otherwise it will cost you time.
0: Ah, right. So it was really competitive. Did you like that? Yeah. What did you have to do then? Explain how how did it work?
13: You have to explain to the people that haven't been in French so so long with us that you might have the line already there and you can copy the line again because it might say... Shimmer, pal, Juliet and then you've got to say Shimmer, pal, Juliet again yeah fair. so you can just copy off there yeah and then it saves your other partner running back to tell you it
0: brilliant so you found that quite easy doing yeah. that yeah any other t- tricks what other
13: gives you a great advantage if you wow. realize it was repetitive and because yeah. we can read more French than the younger ones. Yeah, spell better. It was a lot easier.
0: And what about um, this week's lesson? Did you find it easier? Oh yeah, with
13: yeah. The spelling. Spelling was easier this week, and listening was less it? Less yeah. Years.
0: Okay. So you felt you knew more French this week? Yeah. 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 Good. So would you like to play the game again? Yes. yes. Oh, fantastic.
2: Awesome. So what I really love about that is the fact that uh, creative language teachers are putting together activities whereby the children in that last one, which was actually more to do with running dictation than translation, but it's a similar sort of um, type of activity you could lend uh, really nicely to translation as well, is the fact that they're running from place to place. They are, by moving, I think they're, they're um, giving oxygen to their brain. They're um, uh, reinforcing the the language that they're doing. They're making it fun. In the case of Mademoiselle Isby, she was getting the children to create something. In that particular example, uh, the biggest structure, the tallest structure that they could, using straws and paper... And likewise with um, uh, Mademoiselle McInnes, um, they were building a paper chain, but she said she'd also tried out the same type of idea with uh, building a beetle, that sort of thing. So I think if you give children a focus whereby they're creating something and then learning the language at the same time, for some students that can be a real hook and can be really a way into increasing their motivation. And once you've got them, as it were, then you can do more um, demanding or complicated language work. What do you think, Noah?
3: I couldn't agree more. And I really, again, focus on the joy that we hear from the teacher and especially the students, right? That if they're having fun in language class, when mom and dad say, hey, what'd you do in school today? Instead of saying nothing, if they're saying I had a great time in language class, I mean, that is a great advocacy tool for us as language teachers. And it's great for helping us encourage, you know, the the bilingual people of tomorrow.
2: Yeah, definitely. And to finish off this section on translation, how translation can be Uh, integrated into the Modern Languages classroom. We're going to hear from OLSPCK Languages which is a a school in Northern Ireland and they took part recently in the Juvenes Translatores competition which um, schools had to apply for and then they would compete with other schools practicing translation and uh, we're going to hear now from OLSPCK Languages to hear all about it.
14: Hi, my name is Sarah Cahi, and I'm the Head of Spanish in Our Lady in St. Patrick's College, Knock in Belfast. We recently took part in the Juvenes Translatores competition, which is run by the European Commission. We could enter five students with one reserve. Uh, We had five students here who took part across three languages, so French, Spanish and German, although there are a wealth of languages offered in the competition itself, so you can have a look at that online. The translations that the students would be doing would be from the language of their choice into English. They did find the translations challenging that they did for the competition, although the feedback was that they were able to learn an awful lot of new vocabulary, which they thought would be beneficial for their AS and A2 studies. The students did seem to enjoy the whole experience and they did find it a challenge and I would say it is an excellent activity for those gifted and talented students that we have among us in languages. And not only for them, I mean, there were students of mixed ability who took part and they all really enjoyed the experience. And I have to say for myself on reading the translations, it was even a challenge for me and, you know, an excellent opportunity for for the teachers to get involved. And it creates a bit of discussion within the department about how we would translate certain sentences. So overall, it was a really enjoyable experience. It's one that I would most definitely do again in the future if we were to be lucky to be picked again. In terms of the prizes, the translations are marked by a team of markers in Brussels and those translations will, some of them will be given a special mention if they're of high quality. And if we were extremely lucky, one of our students would win that section of the competition and then be given an opportunity to attend an awards ceremony in, in Brussels. So there are perks, there are prizes All students get a certificate at the end, which is excellent for preparing UCAS statements and personal statements, and a point of discussion should they have a university interview. So, I think all in all, it is a very worthwhile activity and one which I would recommend to all schools. Thank you. Hi Anna, what did you think of the recent Juvenise Translatories competition?
12: I really
13: enjoyed it and thought it was worthwhile for my A level studies Mm -hmm. because I learned a lot of new vocabulary. And I thought it was difficult because we were interpreting what was being said rather than just translating it literally. So we had to think out of the box more.
14: And would you do it again if you were given the opportunity?
13: Yeah, definitely. I think it's good practice.
14: Great. Thank you. So, Peter, what did you think of the recent European Commission Translation Competition?
8: I thought it was great. Um, It was quite challenging, but it was definitely really worthwhile because this is something that I'm thinking of doing in the future and i want to go on and study you know interpreting and translating at uni so it was very worthwhile to get an insight into what translating is like
4: in and ifa do you agree yeah no it was really worthwhile it was interesting because once i saw we had a dictionary i was like oh this is going to be easy mm-hmm. but it really wasn't and it was good to get to use like different tools to try and work out what was said in the trans or in the piece Brilliant. thank you very
2: much so what a great opportunity for those um, A-level students, those students studying at the age of 17, 18 years old, to take part in this national competition and to, to compete against uh, their peers from uh, all over the country and to focus on the language. What a, what a great way of, uh, as you say, bringing great joy from uh, that type of competition. And now we're going to hear from Paul Kay, who actually works for the European Commission, who give, who's going to give us a little bit more of a background about the uh, competition.
15: My name's Paul K. I'm a language officer at the European Commission Representation in the UK, based in London. On Twitter, I'm at PaulKEULangs, that's K with an E. One of my roles is to help promote the European Commission's Juvenes Translatores Translation Contest in the UK. The contest is open to 17-year-old students at schools across the EU, and they have to translate a text from any one of the EU's 24 official languages into any one of the other 23 official languages. And those languages include things like French, German, Spanish, which are commonly taught in schools, but also Irish, Estonian, Maltese, Czech. They can translate any combination and the translations are then marked by our professional translation staff in Brussels and Luxembourg, and 28 winners are announced, one for each EU country. The prize for the winners is that they go on a trip to Brussels where they meet uh, all the other winners. And Beyond those winners, students that score particularly highly get special commendations. In the UK, a maximum of 73 schools are allowed to enter the contest. If we get more than 73 applicant schools... Well, which we usually do, we select the 73 in a random draw and each school can then submit five students to the contest. So up to 365 students across the UK enter each year and the contest day is in November and in the last five years I've had the privilege of visiting schools on contest day and the response is always the same. They say teachers and students that it's a very valuable interesting exercise. One student said this year it's an amazing experience and a really useful opportunity And the benefits range from simply learning new vocabulary in the text that they have to translate to getting an appreciation of the skills and the techniques and disciplines involved in doing translation, potentially if they're going to go into it as a career. Teachers say it's very useful because translation is now on the A-level curriculum for languages. If you want to know more, search online for Juvenes Translatores to get to the European Commission webpage. At the moment the contest is limited to the 28 countries of the EU so it's uncertain what the status for the contest will be in the UK after March 2019.
2: The overall winners of the Huberness Translators competition were announced at the beginning of February 2019 so we got in touch with the UK winner Natalia Glasman from Waldingham School for her reflections on winning such a prestigious competition.
5: Hi my name is Natalia and I am the UK winner of the Young Translators' Competition organized by the European Commission. When I found out that I had won, I was in such shock and disbelief. It was crazy. I really didn't expect anything when I came out of the translation all the way back in November in 2018. I really, really love the Young Translators' Competition because I think that it really brings so many young people across the European Union all together in one single competition. And that really shows the importance of every single language within the EU. And I think that it really also promotes and celebrates an extremely important job in such a globalized world, which is translating and interpreting. And for me personally, languages are extremely important. I was born in Russia and when I was 11, I moved to England to study here. And that's when I started learning Spanish. And over the years, my passion and love for Spanish really grew and I really decided that I wanted to become fluent in Spanish. And next year, I'm hoping to study biochemistry alongside Spanish in the university. And uh, hopefully I'm going to be able to spend one year in Spain to really improve my Spanish speaking skills. I also wanted to say that I'm really extremely grateful to my teachers who I think challenge me each year to improve my Spanish and also push me to take part in this competition. And I'm really looking forward to traveling to Brussels in April to attend the award ceremony.
3: As we wrap up that show and tell section, Joe Dale, I think something on a U.S. perspective it, that's really interesting is to see this institutional governmental you know, support for language learning that, that I think is really cool that I'd love to see more of on, on our side of the pond. And also, I would encourage listeners, you know, as you're hearing all these ideas, to be considering maybe if it's not a specific strategy for your class how you might be able to tweak it in order to make it something for your class, whether it's the stacking of straws, the runny dictation, a lot of really great strategies there for for us to borrow from one another on. And something that we'll also drop in the show notes, for those of you who aren't following Errol O'Neill, I highly recommend you check out E-R-R-O-L-M O'Neill on Twitter. And uh, we'll drop in resources from a presentation that Errol O'Neill gave at ACTFL this last year called training students to use Google Translate and online dictionaries for class in order to support some of these efforts from a research-based perspective.
2: Thanks ever so much, Noah, for that U.S. perspective on how translation is being used in the languages classroom in the States. That's really interesting. The theme of the MFL show-and-tell for the next episode of the MFL Twitterati podcast focuses on the use of film in the languages classroom. And to whet your appetite, here's some exciting news from Benoît Le Ledevedec from the Institut Francais about a very cool French pop video competition, as well as some free workshops on teaching French through music, which are happening around the UK from the end of February 2019. Hi there, this is Benoît Le
16: Ledevedec from the Institut Francais du Royaume-Uni. Many thanks to Joe Dale for inviting me uh, to share this podcast and speak about the French pop video competition. So the Institut Francais is inviting all students in UK schools from primary to secondary education levels to submit a short video of a song that they have composed in French. Both the song and the video have to be original work from the students. Any style of music can be used, from rap music to classical music. It can also be spoken word. The contest is a great opportunity for French language teachers to work with their music and technology colleagues at school. Also, this contest does not require expensive material to take part in. You can just use a mobile phone to shoot the video clip. There are also plenty of freewares on the internet that will allow you to do a decent recording of a song on your computer teachers have until the 5th of April to submit their students' work. In order to help French-language teachers to prepare their students for this contest, we are organizing a free Teaching French Through Music CPD tour across the UK from the 25th of February to the 2nd of March. We'll have a teacher trainer from Cavillam. Cavillam is a prestigious teacher training center in France will come and deliver workshops in six cities around the country in London, Jersey, Cardiff, Manchester, Edinburgh and Belfast. All the information related to the French pop video competition as well as the free Teaching French Through Music CPD tour is available on Prof UK at www.ifprofs.org. Bonne chance
2: à tous et que l'inspiration soit avec vous. Thanks ever so much, Benoit for telling us about the French Pop Video Competition as well as the free workshops on teaching French through music happening around the UK at the end of this month. I think now we've come to the point for our Tech Talk interview, the main feature of the podcast. Noah, could you introduce that for our listeners, please?
3: In this episode's Tech Talk interview, Joe and I had an opportunity to speak with David Shanks. He's at HF Languages on Twitter. And uh, we really enjoyed our conversation with David about how he's been able to take research-based practices and apply them in really practical and concrete ways in his classroom. And we hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. David, thanks so much for being here. And uh, maybe take a second to introduce yourself and tell our listeners about yourself.
17: Thanks very much for having me, Noah. Lovely to be here. So, yes, my name is David Shanks. Um, I'm first and foremost, I should say, a practicing classroom teacher. Uh, French is my main subject. I'm also the lead MFL consultant for the Harris Federation. That's to say I work across a group of 47 schools uh, focusing in mainly on uh, the language development of their curriculum and assessment. Uh, I'm also a member of the National Council for the Association for Language Learning and I run our Harris Federation um, schools direct course. As well as that, I contribute quite regularly to the Oxford University Press's MFL Teaching Languages Today blog and I'm a keen member of the MFL Twitter at under HF Languages.
3: And everyone can definitely follow him, as he said, at HF Languages on the Twitter. And and David, as an ed techie who's also a French teacher, where did your ed tech journey begin?
17: So I'm possibly not quite a a typical language teacher in that I started out at university studying computing science and maths as my major, but I I picked up French along the way. I've always seen a natural link between maths, technology, and, and languages. But Uh, My main interest in in EdTech itself probably took off when I was teaching maths in Norway in about 2007. I had a really amazing colleague called Morten Odvik, who's also on Twitter, and at this stage he had his students up and running on Quizlet homeworks. Uh, Students had their own individual blogs and their homework calendars were all integrated into their Gmail accounts. So that was really the first taste that I, I saw EdTech in action. Subsequently I came to London to um, become a qualified teacher. At that stage I was working on qualified and it was a a key document, the British Educational Communications and Technology Agency uh, published a document in 2004 and they cited positive association with motivation and engagement the affordances that technology could have for mfl learners how it could cater for different needs in terms of differentiation they also discovered a positive association with uh, attainment and obviously as as we all know the the expanding learning possibilities that that technology can afford language students and it was around about that time as well that i first heard of the mighty mfl twitterati and joe dale's name
2: And it's an absolute pleasure, David, to have the opportunity to chat with you on the MFL Clitorati podcast about all the amazing things you've been doing. Now, you mentioned about educational technology and the BESA report. You're actually studying at the moment as part of your MA, aren't you, a module on the impact of educational technology in the languages classroom. Could you maybe talk a little bit
17: about that? Yes, absolutely. So for the last two years, um, I've been enjoying and and trying to squeeze in alongside teaching and other things uh, an MA with King's College London. My personal master's is quite a broad-based one with different modules, so I completed a, a module on recent developments in educational technology. I learned quite a lot through that in terms of a pragmatic approach to use of technology. That also turned me on to the uh, NMC's Innovative Language Education Briefing document from 2016, which is full of really interesting and innovative ways that uh, technology is being used around the world. And also, uh, it's part of their Horizon review, so it it kind of forecast into the future to see where we might be going so that that's been a really interesting document and currently i'm working on my dissertation uh, which is going to very focus very much on the use of technology and how that might facilitate particularly speaking tasks so it's still in its infancy, I've still got my homework to do by all means, but essentially the title will be speaking of homework, my idea being that I think traditionally homework is often seen as a, a written or grammar focused or or writing homework, but perhaps could we leverage technology in some way to, to get students speaking outside of the classroom. And then, what I would hopefully to look uh, hope to look at later then is is will that have an impact upon student motivation, confidence? It's quite well documented in Ofsted reports and through my own observations that that speaking is often a skill that students have a lot of uh, emotional trauma, FLA. It doesn't just mean foreign language assistant. I've I've discovered through my re- research it also stands for foreign language anxiety. So if if technology can be a way uh, in a kind of safe environment for students to practice before real operating conditions, then, then I think that's something we could maybe be exploiting a little bit more regularly.
2: So through your research on, say, the use of technology for promoting speaking, what
17: sort of ideas have you come across and what impact has that had on your own practice? So... My dissertation is uh, last year i was I was teaching students who are who were in year twelve, so they were age sixteen seventeen, and I did a little bit of work in terms of the technology. It was ever so simple. they would simply use their mobile phone and they would voice record an audio file and email it to me. I would deliberately choose work that they were already familiar with. I think there's a, an interesting idea there that students, even when they read aloud in class they're so focused on, on pronouncing things correctly and, and making the grapheme phoneme transition that they're not semantically processing what they say. So if they're maybe reading something aloud that they're familiar with, uh, if it's a piece of work that they've already written, then that can be kind of parked to one side and they, they tend to focus a lot more on, on pronunciation and, and, Gaining confidence in expressing themselves fluently. So, so out of that has come an idea to trial that with some younger students and set up a series of interventions across a half term where I will design their homework over the course of maybe six weeks. And instead of traditional uh, worksheets or translation activities, they'll they'll be speaking at home through the use of Padlet or perhaps simply just emailing a, a video or sorry a voice file back to me.
3: You know, I really love what you're saying there, going back to that point about anxiety and, you know, the, these factors that we know as language teachers are what lead to students not growing up to become bilingual and biliterate adults. And so I, I just love your kind of ideas around leveraging these ed tech tools that we have in the MFL classroom in order to help students avoid those easy kind of trappings that that disrupt that language learning journey. And so sticking with you mentioned uh, Padlet, you, you, what are some of the other specific language tools that you've seen work really well in the modern language classroom, and, and in what ways are you seeing them used? So I mentioned uh, at the top
17: of the, the podcast, uh, Quizlet. That's still something I use regularly. It's been on my radar for, for over 10 years now, and I think it's kind of twofold the advantages of Quizlet. One is, is just the, the time saver. Uh, it can be for teachers themselves in terms of sourcing vocabulary and and sourcing content. And then Obviously, there's the, the students using it themselves in order to use spaced repetition, repeat vocabulary uh, across across the year and longer. And I, I think it can be quite a nice and structured way to provide students with an opportunity to, to access language outside of the classroom, which I think is a, a really big thing and a, probably one of the most powerful things with regards to technology for language learning is, is the fact that you can have students busy in the informal learning environments Curriculum time varies across schools and countries, I'm sure, but we do not have a huge amount of contact curriculum time here in the UK. So using technology to try and have students as busy as possible outside the classroom, Quizlet has been a useful one for that. Another tool that I've used with particular classes um, to good effect, I would say, is Plickers for informal low-stakes testing the app where students have a small QR code, a simplified QR code, and they they will respond to multiple choice questions flashed up on the board. What's particularly useful with that is that you, you get a rich snapshot of where students are at. It's not possible to copy the answers of other students like you might be able to with other voting systems, and it's all very nice and neatly compiled into a spreadsheet for the teacher so you can track the gaps of students in their knowledge. The drawback is is that that's obviously multiple-choice questioning, so it's quite knowledge-based, but certainly I think that's a a very useful tool, and low-stakes testing has been shown to be incredibly powerful as well. It's
2: also good for those teachers who only have the one device, like their mobile phone, for example, in the classroom. They can use Plickers, no problem. They don't need a class set of devices or be in an ICT suite. They can just do that formative assessment there and then, shortening the feedback loop, as you just mentioned, very quickly and easily. I just wanted to talk a little bit about the digital divide so with the speaking homeworks idea for example using padlet how do you address the issue for some students who maybe don't have a computer at home or a mobile device
17: yeah it's a, it's an excellent question and i think it's one that should be you know at the top of our list when we think about using technology in terms of access for all students the the group of schools i work for serve predominantly uh, disadvantaged communities so that it's something i'm very aware of I was quite surprised Professor Twining from the Open University had some research that came out and it was to my surprise it said that actually students um, from from more disadvantaged backgrounds are actually almost as likely to have a mobile device as their more affluent peers. I think it's important to unpick that a little bit more in that a mobile device at home doesn't necessarily mean a, a, a family um, study with a desktop that is used explicitly for uh, for homework purposes. But all the same, it, it seems that there are is a a change in that large numbers of students will have these devices. But I also think you, you also need to to have a plan B in that that may be a different way of completing the particular homework. And also, I know for speaking for our schools, they they all have libraries and they all have ICT rooms. So it's, it's a case of booking in slots in there and making sure that those facilities are available for students before and after school through homework clubs so that no one's left behind.
2: Excellent answer, David. I love how nowadays the vast majority of children do have access to a mobile device, And so language teachers can now think out of the box a little bit more and set speaking homeworks as opposed to the normal reading or writing homeworks. So I love the way you're trying out things using Padlet for speaking homeworks and that you're doing this as part of your research for your MA. That's amazing. There seems to be a real appetite for evidence-based practice at the moment across education in general. What would you say are the main threads that you've come across during your research as part of your MA? And what impact do you think your research has had on your own classroom practice?
17: I think certainly one thing I've noticed teaching over the last 10 years is is latterly, there's definitely been a, a greater visibility or a, a greater drive to have the, the application of research, uh, conduits of such research into the classroom, that there are movements such as research eds and more laterally as well, research ed MFL. There's the work of the learning scientists who've distilled a whole lot of quite dense and heavy cognitive science research into very easy and practicable techniques and strategies for the classroom, and specifically for languages, one book that's been particularly interesting for me is The, the Language Teacher Toolkit by Steve Smith and Gianfranco Conti. It's a book I'd wish I'd had whilst I was on my own PGCE. And I. I grew at the time when I was training to be a teacher myself, I grew a little bit frustrated with uh, the disconnect between theory that we would have and then perhaps what, what Friday afternoon with a year nine was telling me in the actual real classroom. And what I like about their book is that it will it will lay the lay out the landscape initially, it will look at the research available, but then very quickly look at what that actually looks like in the classroom by way of example activities and lesson plans as well. I think as well there's the work of John Sweller and the the idea of cognitive overload theory is quite an important one I think particularly as well if we're using technology that's something to be aware of that's certainly made me I'd say straight away use PowerPoint a little bit less the idea that that learning is is not linear and PowerPoint is I, I've certainly counted upon myself and I encourage the trainee teachers I work with not to forget the fact that they are absolutely the number one resource and I think where technology comes into the equation then is is much more with pragmatic use where there's a really sound pedagogical rationale and if we look at the, the SAMR model then it's maybe where we can redefine tasks and, and aim towards something that is possible with technology now that wasn't previously. Along with that, the the kind of cognitive science element, the the spaced repetition, the retrieval practice, the dual coding, these are all ideas that that I've certainly benefited from and and seen their positive effects in the classroom.
2: So you've mentioned spaced repetition a couple of times already. For those people who haven't heard of spaced repetition before, could you perhaps explain what that exactly means?
17: space repetition it's the idea that you'll you'll need to encounter words and chunks and phrases um, in our cases language teachers multiple times many many times in different contexts before you can a pass them into your your passive and then your active vocabulary so it is a challenge with with curriculum time to to revisit words and technology can really help with that. Also, curriculum design becomes very important as well in that you'll need to interleave topics so that students are seeing words and and key structures, again, at various points over their their curriculum time. And this is perhaps best summarised if I give you the anecdote. I used to teach year 11s and I would grow hugely frustrated that they wouldn't know something as simple as the numbers 1 to hundred. And it's through the idea of spaced repetition and interleaving, I've come to realise that it's it's not the lazy students or anything like that at all. It's just the fact that they were taught these age 12 and then their curriculum didn't revisit them again. There's no element of spaced repetition, so they didn't repeat these things over time. And that explains very simply why they weren't able to to recall and retain these things.
2: And tools like Quizlet and Duolingo are really good, aren't they, for implementing spaced repetition and low-stakes testing as we talked about? Could you maybe talk a little bit about the Duolingo competitions that you've run through the Harris Federation and also through the Association for Language Learning?
17: Yes. Well, ju- just on the spaced repetition aspect, one thing I think is great that when, when you're logged in and you have a user account with Quizlet or Duolingo, because of the back end and the data crunching that's going on, it, these, these platforms will will put the vocabulary that you're weak on in front of the students. If there's words that you know well or if there are phrases and chunks that you're confident with, the nature of the algorithms is such that it, it can pinpoint and and put in front of you it will encourage you to practice or in the case of duolingo it will encourage you to strengthen certain topic areas or strengthen certain grammar points so i i think that that's technology taking out doing the, the hard work in terms of identifying where students need to go forward in terms of the duolingo competition then um that was an idea that came to me i realized that very simply with limited work on my behalf if i were just to signpost a competition. It didn't have to be students within a single class who were working in the same class. So I've set up a number of competitions. By way of example, the most recent one for European Day of languages, I invited all of the students in our schools through their heads of departments to come and join a digital classroom that I created. And then over the course of it was five days, I, I tracked the progress of those students. They were busy bees, many students, many tens of thousands of questions being answered and lessons completed and then prizes awarded to to the top three. So that's worked really nicely, and it's not been a huge investment of my time as well, because essentially the, the technology is there and already exists.
2: And what impact did this have on the motivation of the young people who you work with?
17: Well, certainly, certainly for those students, just the actual amount of hours that they were putting in is a testament to their motivation. Some students were working late into the evening, probably past their bedtime, but all for a good cause. And no, it is quite, it's quite clear. I, I can see that students are busy outside of school and arcing back to the original point about leveraging technology to have students continue their language learning outside of the classroom is something I feel quite strongly about.
2: And Duolingo for Schools is completely free, isn't it? It's incredible.
17: Yes, it is indeed. And there is a administrator's platform. So schools.duolingo.com is where you would administer your groups. You can also assign tasks and assign homeworks, which is incredibly useful. And because it's such a, a large, well-known platform, there, there's a lot of development that's going into it as well. So they're working on artificially intelligent bots that allow you to have semi-authentic, well, semi-interactive conversations. And depending on your choices in that conversation, the conversation will take a different Path, And they're also at the moment integrating stories as well, where there will be storylines told and then comprehension questions asked as they go along. But I think one of the most powerful things for for Duolingo is is the ASR, so the automatic speech recognition, the the fact that this app will actually have students speaking out loud again. And that goes back to my, my point about speaking outside the classroom.
3: And, and I think also that just the powerful thing in the data, data is something that as language teachers, it's a lot of times easy for us to be afraid of or, or to just kind of no, stay away, data. But, and you're collecting data that shows students, like you said, up late into the night doing languages, i pretty much just falling in love with it, right? I mean, that, that's a great data point for us as language teachers to have of students opting into a love of languages. Absolutely. And I, I happen to be walking
17: through the school or uh, through a school. Uh, f- a school in which one of the the winning students was there, and this student had managed to track me down and came up and introduced themselves and said hello and was wondering when their prize was coming. So uh, they, these are clearly hungry, keen uh, language learners, which which is great to see. And yes, I've been receiving many emails as to when the the prizes are coming because these these students are pestering their teachers in their schools in their departments because they're they're keen to get recognition and and keen to celebrate their their success.
3: And especially connected with European Day of Languages and just this general idea of advocacy when a young person, you know, gets asked by mom or dad, you know, what did you do in school today? Instead of saying nothing, they're saying, you know, I'm doing this language competition. I and mean, that's such a great advocacy tool. Um, David, I want to go back to you. you talked a lot about kind of The informal and and formative process of assessment and feedback using some of these tech tools for world languages and really focused on the interpretive communication mode. I'm curious if you have any tips around kind of maybe digital storytelling or some of the more presentational communication mode uses of technology in a modern foreign language class.
17: So, one project that i 'm about to undertake i 've just returned from Lille in france for for an e twinning conference and i 'm very excited to say that i 've got a, a link school now in France and in Belgium, and the plan is that students will be within the e-twinning safe digital environment, they will be communicating and presenting themselves to one another. So with real authentic native speakers. So that's something that I'm, that I'm exploring in terms of maybe digital storytelling. Then I've previously had good success with some classes through the use of Storybird. Which I, I find really interesting. It is a digital storytelling platform. It, it's free and the educator version has very, very generous offer in terms of unlimited numbers of students and classes and such things. What's wonderful with it is that I find when trying to do something a little bit different, students quite often f- fall into blank page syndrome or writer's block. So if you want students to be creative, they're, they're intimidated by this blank page. What's really interesting with Storybird is that students select an artist whose artwork they have an affinity for or whose style that they like. And then they have access to a range of images from that artist. They then can select and sequence any particular image into a certain order. And then they tell a story off those images as a, as a starting point. So I've, I've used that with students age. 14 to 16 and had some really, really uh, great successes and students commenting and giving feedback on each stories in the target language underneath in the comments box as well
3: totally and, and and one of the things that I love about a tool like Storybird and other similar storytelling platforms is you reference students' ability to choose what images go in and, and from a personalization standpoint, those images can be them and their classmates right that you know, it can be stories about themselves, which I think is really great. you know you you mentioned earlier the SamR model, and Joe and I in the show notes can definitely link to that for our listeners, but as we think about well, how do we make This digital storytelling, you know, that students are doing on Storybird, not just substitution for what might be happening. On pen and paper and so can you talk a little bit about some of the things that that you're seeing happening in your own classes and in the classes you support where people are able to use these digital storytelling tools in order to do something more that actually augments redefines or, or modifies the original task well straight I mean I, I can talk through a few of the things
17: I've done but also where where I see scope for that even if I haven't necessarily done it myself but but certainly straight away you've got the the opportunities whether it's through storyboard itself but for collaboration remote collaboration Collaboration In terms of students collaboratively working on documents or stories remotely, that can be very powerful. Similarly, there's the, the the interactive aspects that I mentioned before, and that wouldn't be perhaps possible to the same degree in that students can comment on each other's work. And also it's one thing I feel quite strongly about is is the the power of an audience. So just the very fact that students know these will be available and visible and it will be online and it can be seen. That, that can be a real driver of motivation. And certainly when I've previously set story writing tasks with students, the results would tend to have been, I would say, a lot shorter. If something is written on a piece of paper in the back of the book that your your teacher might one day mark, there's a less motivation there for students than if it's something they know is going to be publicly visible by their teacher and their peers and potentially a wider audience. So I think tapping into the motivation is 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 the real kind of Key there that, that might not otherwise be possible with traditional methods.
2: And you mentioned also in the beginning of our discussion the fact that at the beginning of our ed tech journey, let's say, you came across the MFL Twitterati. Could you maybe talk a little bit about the impact of being a member of this community has had on your own practice?
17: It's been immense, it's been huge. I think in the UK, we're in the business of having perhaps to, to sell our subject a little bit. There's the kind of um backdrop of a, of a long standing decline in terms of uptake at A level and things. So I, I think. Being able to have like-minded professionals on on call twenty four seven and and supportive colleagues, I think, is really really valuable. It probably wouldn't be a stretch for me to say I'm not sure if I would still be teaching if it wasn't for colleagues that I had met through Association for Language Learning and through CPD and being a bit more outward looking and kind of developing my own personal learning network. And MFL Twitterati certainly sits sits quite highly on that list. It's just the constant source of, of ideas and innovation and the eternally optimistic viewpoint of everybody. It, it's, it's so positive. <laughs> and, uh, I, th- I think that's quite, quite special. Yeah.
3: David, it's always great to have the MFL Twitterati podcast uh, conclude the TED Talk interview with a pat on the back to the MFL Twitterati community that Joe and others have uh, done so much to foster and grow over the years.
2: Yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And we're very grateful for everything that you share, David, presentations, your tweets, etc. And it's very much appreciated by the community. So thank you so much for sharing some of your thoughts and reflections on your evidence-based research. I think it's been really useful and I'm sure lots of people will find it very interesting to listen to this recording and try out some of the ideas in their own schools.
17: Thank you for having me and I look forward to the rest of the podcast and good job on the MFL Twitter app in general and on the podcast too. Thank you. Thanks, David. So thank you
2: ever so much to David for sharing his his expertise on the way in which he has taken research and applied to the classroom in very practical ways. I'm sure lots of language teachers will find that very, very useful.
3: Thank you very much, Joe Dale, for the recap of this episode's Tech Talk interview. Who do we have coming up next episode?
2: The next Tech Talk interview is a real coup, in my opinion, because we've been able to speak to Graham Wilson, who invented the Vocal Recall app, which has now become Class QR. And for those people that haven't heard about this before, it's uh, for creating audio QR codes for giving feedback and promoting speaking and listening skills. And so, of course, language teachers have absolutely loved it. And Graham's going to talk all about how uh, Class QR has now evolved and how it's going to be on the market again very soon. So really want to check out.
3: Really looking forward to that interview, Joe. And as we wrap up this episode, I just want to say a huge thank you from both of us to everyone who lent their voices and contributed to episode two of the MFL Twitterati podcast. And if your voice didn't make it into the podcast, don't worry, we still want to work you into the community Through the MFL Twitterati podcast Facebook group, as well as future episodes, just keep contributing, keep being a part of this community. This is all about celebrating you and your voices, and we appreciate all of you for being involved. The MFL Twitterati podcast, celebrating the voices of the modern language teaching community.
2: If you've enjoyed this episode of the MFL Twitterati podcast, please rate and review us on Apple's podcast app so more language teachers can find us. You can subscribe to the MFL Twitterati podcast on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcasts, Overcast or Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcast. For information, go to our podcast site, mfltwitteratipodcast.com where there are lots of references to this episode's content and all the previous episodes too.